Welcome to the Perkins Platform, a solutions-oriented podcast and live radio show. Each broadcast, we dedicate just about 30 minutes to explore topics of interest for leaders and professionals in education and a variety of other disciplines. And this is your host, Brian Perkins. So I'm delighted to be here today with a, uh, a another special guest uh, this week, um, writer and educator and activist, uh, who's going to discuss Sikhism with us and his new book, uh, The Light We Give, How Sikh Wisdom Can Transform Your Life. Um, so I'm pleased to welcome and uh, introduce to you Dr. Simran Jeet Singh. Welcome, Simran. Great to be with you. Thank you for thank you for having me. Appreciate so, it. Yes, yes. So uh, Simran is the uh, executive director of the Aspen Institute's Religion and Society Program, a Soros Equality Fellow with the Open Society Foundations, uh, a senior advisor on equity and and inclusion. Uh, and a variety of other accolades. And I just found out just today that uh, he's also a visiting professor at Union Seminary, which is right across the street from my office. And I just a great place. I've taken classes over there and it's just a great place to learn and and so uh, have talks and, and meet a lot of great people. And so um, as you all know, who are tuning in uh, and listening to this conversation, that this podcast is really uh, formulated to to help leaders understand how to become better leaders. And and one such way uh, is to understand different um, backgrounds and cultures and belief structures. And so I decided to do um, this series on world religions throughout the next year. And so uh, Simran has agreed to come and discuss Sikhism. So thank you for coming and welcome uh, to this uh, to this conversation. And I'd just like to start with the very basic question, uh, what's Sikhism? Yeah, yeah, I appreciate I appreciate the question, and you know, part of my experience uh, growing up here in the states, and I, you know, I grew up in Texas where there weren't many six. Um, I mean, for miles <laughs> from where I grew up, I grew up in San Antonio, and we were the only turban six in all of South Texas. And so this was this was a question that we got a lot from people. I mean, they'd see the turbans on our heads uh, and the beards on our faces, and they just, I mean, it was like, what what is that? What are you about? And so I, I appreciate the opportunity to answer it directly and to a community of people who are interested in, in learning more. Um, you know, the, the place where I would begin is really on, on the basis of, of what we're about. Um, as a community, I, I would really say, you know, the first thing that every Sikh learns, uh, the first thing my parents learned growing up in India, the first thing I grew, grew up learning in Texas, first thing I've taught my daughters here in New York uh, is, the, is the principle of Ikonkar. Uh, which re refers to the oneness of all reality. Uh, and the teaching is uh, that everyone and everything is interconnected. And it seems like a really simple concept, right? Like every, every kid, including my own, can understand it. Uh, but it is a radically different way of looking at the world than, than how we're socialized to think about it. Um, you know, not just in terms of how we think about our relationship with the people around us, um, but also how we think about ourselves individually. You know, it, it challenges um, the egocentrism and the hyper-individualism of our society. Um, you know, a lot of spiritual traditions will say, and Sikhism says this too, that ego is the root 
of suffering and connection uh, is the solution. And so, and, and learning to live with that kind of humility and feeling of connection is really central to Sikh philosophy. And then from there, the teaching is, if you can feel that connection, then that means you're living with love, which is the ultimate goal. We don't really put much emphasis on an afterlife um, or any sort of outcome or output. It's, it's all about uh, living every day with love in this world. And, and the third building block of the philosophy is, uh, is service and justice. And, you know, in our tradition, the idea is if you really feel connected with the world around you, if you really feel love, then you show up for people uh, and you try and reduce their suffering and you try and make their lives. I mean, just like any other relationship where you care about someone, you just show up. And uh, Cornell West has this line that I think really resonates. Um, he says, justice is what love looks like in public. And I think that's the spirit of this, that, you know, to be a truly spiritually connected person, you don't just focus on yourself and your inner being all the time. You also uh, care about the world around you and you have that sort of compassion and empathy. So those are, those to me are the three building blocks of Sikh teachings. I think, you know, most Sikhs I know uh, would, would agree with this simple framework of how we view the world. Um, and then there's all the sort of trappings of how we try and bring this into our daily lives uh, as a practice uh, through discipline, through um, community, through learning our, you know, stories and lessons through history and scripture and so on. But I think those, those three pieces, the, the oneness, the love and the justice uh, are core to, to how I understand the, the Sikh tradition. Sure, sure. Very, very powerful. Um, so again, I'm, I'm uh, really appreciative because this really helps me understand, and I'm sure a lot of people who will come to listen to this, uh, before you mentioned it, I, I was just jotting down some notes and I said, uh, I was thinking about one, your your statement that everyone is connected, but then um, just in reflection, thinking about that, I, I was going to follow up, and then you said it around um, the fact that so many people seem to suffer from uh, hyper individualism. I mean, especially what's going on now, and I think about in a post COVID world where a lot of people are almost forced into individualism right and and so if you were if we're if you were inclined to only think about self it got worse with covid over the course of a year or two and and certainly egocentrism where everything is about what you have we you know we see on social media we see on televisions about what you have and me and i only um that's, I, I can imagine that's really challenging now, particularly, as I say, in a post-COVID world. Um, what, what, are you, what are you observing um, just even among um, people that just generally um, with this, are these, is it even more difficult for people to practice in this way? Um, and, and, and kind of the follow-up to that is, and uh, are you seeing it being helpful to people to mm. focus uh, now post-COVID, like saying that this the wisdom, the uh, sick wisdom is actually helpful um, now trying to emerge from uh, uh, individualistic uh, framework? 
Yeah. Yeah. I, I love the question because I think it's absolutely true in terms of your observation. I mean, I'll, I'll share that, you know, even though, even though I try to see the world in this way, I'm not perfect with it either. Right. So it's, it's aspirational for me and it's something I try and practice, but COVID was a really um, instructive moment for me in this regard in that, you know, we live in New York city. My wife is a physician. She uh, was serving COVID patients early and um, I was when, when, it, when the pandemic started, I was like, yo, let's get out of here. Like, let's get out of the city. Let's go get safety for us and our kids. I mean, I think a very natural reaction. And, and her response was, well, I can't leave. I can't leave my patients when they need me the most. I mean, it was very, I mean, a, a beautiful response that I took a lot of inspiration from. But, but part of the experience that followed was... And I think this is true for a lot of people in this country and around the world, as we started to become worried about our safety, and rightfully so, um, we worked really hard on ensuring that we were, we, we took precautions from, from becoming infected. And, and we did that in our home too, in our, in our small apartment in New York. And, and what I found was even after we were set up, I was finding it really hard to move beyond the the obsession with our own safety. I, I mean, it, it kind of snowballed, right? Like, and, and it, again, it starts from a really natural impulse. Like, let me make sure my family's safe. Of course you want to do that. But then you move beyond that or, or you like time goes on and you're like, I can't, like I'm just becoming more focused on myself, less, not not less. And And, and part of what our tradition teaches us um, and, and part of what helped me get out of this was uh, getting out of my apartment and serving other people. Mm. And, you know, this was, of course, like in ways that we felt safe and all, all the precautions and whatever. But I'll tell you the, the, the experience of that, which is probably intuitive, is when you go and do that, you start to understand in, in a very sort of heart-centered way, right? This is not intellectual. I mean, I knew intellectually what, what was right, but like I started to actually feel it where, you know, you get out, you serve people and you're like, oh, the world is not just about me. There's more to the world than the four walls of my small New York apartment, right? And so that opening up through connection with other people, and, and you know, you might, you might start as it being a little bit of perspective so that you can see your privilege in relation to others, right? Like, yes, life is hard, but at least we have X, Y, Z, privileges available to us like that's one way of doing it but even I think greater than that in, in terms of transcending ego is just like stepping away like that first step for me was like oh there's more to me than just myself there's more to this world like the world is not about me so that's one that's one experience I had during this period the other one that I want to say is when the pandemic first started I felt really hopeful in some ways because people started to say what a lot of spiritual traditions have been saying for a long time. And that is our well-beings are interconnected. And this isn't just about spiritual tradition, by the way, like this is like what a lot of folks who work in racial justice and liberation mm -hmm. talk about too, right? Like mm -hmm. my well-being is bound up with yours. My liberation is bound up. Like we can't leave each other behind. And so I felt really hopeful because when the pandemic first started, people started to feel that way and started to recognize that our well-beings actually do affect, I mean, in a very direct way. And so it felt good when, when people started to wear masks, not just 
for themselves, but to protect the people around them. Like that's not something you really see in American culture where people are thinking about other people around them. And so I felt hopeful and then and a few months pass and all of that dissipates. And all of a sudden you have these issues becoming politicized and people saying, well, who cares about what you think or how you're affected? Let's just focus on, I, I'm just gonna worry about me. Like if I'm fine then, or if I don't care, then why should I care about you? And so that hope that I had, uh, that felt so great uh, in the early moments of the pandemic, uh, they, they fell uh, pretty quickly. And, and, and really, I think in some ways, what became most clear was the distinction between um, the individualistic American ethos, where we had such great difficulty and so many unnecessary deaths because of our individualism as opposed to other countries that are more community oriented where people actually took care of one another and followed protocols not for themselves only but for other people too and and to me the the what felt so clear was this is all a choice like we don't have to live this way we choose to live this way and there are other ways of being in which we can actually show up for one another that would make all of our lives easier so we don't have to be in this zero sum environment like we could create a world where everybody wins and that's that's a choice absolutely absolutely you know um several things you said really really resonated with me and i um just reflecting on the early days of the pandemic as well uh reflecting on oh i don't want to live this way um got to get out got to do more uh and also trying to find ways to balance being safe uh, or being safe and and practicing safety with um, with the need and desire to help um, and and then kind of resolving that well you some in some ways your help is staying put not going out like that's that's another way to help not not going out and potentially spreading um, um, COVID. But I think about what I look now, just kind of pivoting to what I what I see also with technology. Um, I, I used to think and was very hopeful that technology was going to expand us as mm. a species, you know, kind of as a human species. But now, particularly over the past year or two, I felt that it has, in a lot of ways, contracted us back into, I don't need anyone else. And in fact, a lot of people want to be, you know, sitting and, and I've, I've said this before, um, I, I, I never will forget the first time over, and it was when I want to say there was still a U.S. Airways, but in the, in the U.S. Airways terminal at LaGuardia, um, they built a brand new um, uh, little eatery. And on the tables of this eatery, they had put, so in, in places where there were two seats, they had put two stationary um, iPads uh, for each person, a space to eat, and then you could use the iPad. And I was, I was thinking, why? why? Like when you're sitting down to eat, why would you want two people to be engaged in looking at an iPad? And so I wanted to ask you, so how does this with kind of emerging technology, how difficult is it to practice this where, you know, technology is basically your interface with a, a, an instrument? 
And and so how 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 are you finding um, you know your your fellow uh, six um, engaging and using technology and especially like younger children that are coming up now you say you have children how how are they how are they embracing technology in a way that doesn't make them individual more individualistic yeah it's i mean it's it's a great question because i think part of the part of the delusion of technology is that we feel we tell ourselves that we're more connected than ever before and in, and in a way we are right like our world is smaller mm -hmm. uh, people have more access to information to other people to other cultures and stories i mean in, in ways that even during my childhood we didn't have aside from books and movies right like that was really our, our portal to understanding cultural difference and so in a way yes we we are more connected and, and we use the term with the internet like we talk about our connection our internet connection but 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 it's it's a mental trick in some ways that we play on ourselves because we tell ourselves we're more connected. Uh, but if you look at the mental health crisis in, in this country and in this world today, um, we are more disconnected than ever before, right? Suicide rates, depression, anxiety, like they're unprecedented uh, levels in this crisis. And so it is, it is a real challenge to figure out, well, what do you do in a context where you think you are one way, but you're really another way. You tell yourselves that you're fine and you're really not. You tell yourselves you have the solution, but it's actually the poison. And I think, I think the other challenge within this is that there are other side effects um, about this that, that are really challenging. And so, so one of the ones that I find myself struggling with um, is, is distraction, right? Like I am, in moments where I can be with myself and my own thoughts or engaging with the people around me. Mm -hmm. um, instead, my, my quick answer is I have five minutes. I'm gonna throw in my headphones, listen to my podcast or listen to my book and not pay attention to anything around me. And I think in some ways that's fine, right? Like we, we need distractions in our lives. Like we can enjoy the entertainment that we have and, and not suffer because of it. But when it's so, when it's so overwhelming um, to the point where we don't even know what to do when we're alone with ourselves for five minutes, right? Where we can't survive five minutes without our headphones or without our phones or whatever it is, uh, then, then we're in trouble. And I think that's where, where a lot of us are. And I find myself in those places sometimes too. So I, I, I say all of this to say that in the Sikh tradition um, and Sikh philosophy, being connected with oneself and being connected with the world around you. I mean, that's, that is how you get to a place where you experience the highest of human emotions, right? Like that's how you feel love for the world around you. That's, that's the, that's the goal. And the challenge of technology is so often it's taking us in the other direction and, and we don't even realize it. And so that is, that is a real tension between living in the world right now and, and trying to find a way to live that creates more wholeness and happiness for us every day. Yeah. Yeah. So um, tell me, so your book, uh, The Light We Give, love the title, How Sikh Wisdom Can Transform Your Life. Um, tell me a little bit about, I mean, I'd love to hear also about the work that you're doing um, as the executive director of the Institute's um, Religion and Society uh, program, 
Um, but let, let me let me start with the book. Um, what's the what, what's the focus and and what what do you really want people to walk away with? Yeah, yeah I appreciate that. You know, both in my role with the Aspen Institute and in the book, I mean, I think at the end of the day, um, I think what, if, if you ask me what I'm trying to do with my life and, and what I'm hoping to do in my service um, is to help create more empathy uh, in our society. I mean, I think that is, that's the real gap in terms of what we're suffering from. We, we don't know one another. We don't care about one another. We're constantly uh, ending up in places of dehumanization and we have so much unnecessary suffering because of that. And I mean, you could say that in terms of hate violence and hate crime, you could say that in terms of uh, poverty, and you could say that in terms of any other sort of inequity. I mean, all of these hierarchies that are within our society are on the basis of supremacist thinking, which say like, I'm better than you, or you're better than me, and therefore you deserve more. And, and in my tradition, the teaching is very simple, right? Everyone deserves equally and, and we all have that same light within us. And so, so for me, the, the, book, the book's intention is really to do something that, that I learned from James Baldwin, uh, who says, if I love you, I have to make you conscious of the things you don't see. Mm-hmm. And, and it's in that spirit of, of love and education and helping people opening their eyes to experiences they might not have, um, to a community they might not know, but at the end of the day, like helping people enter into a story that's not theirs and to see life from a different perspective, to cultivate empathy for that perspective. And along the way, I can share some of the lessons I've learned from a, from a philo- philosophical system that's given so much to me, but people know very little about. And so I, I believe pretty sincerely um, that some of what Sikh wisdom has to offer can answer the biggest questions of our time, right? What does it look like to love our neighbors? What does it look like to respond to hate with love? I mean, I, I feel like there are answers there because I've lived them, right? As, as I've dealt with hate uh, growing up in Texas, living here in New York, I mean, during the war on terror where I, I look like America's stereotypical enemy, um, I've had to figure those answers out and I've drawn a lot from my tradition to do that. And I. I, that's that's what I'm really hoping to bring to people uh, in terms of of sick wisdom and philosophy. Awesome, awesome. So, do, are are there? And this may sound like a ridiculous question, but it's uh, it's an honest one for me. Are there people who convert to Sikhism um, because I, you know I I and this was only through rumor. I don't know um, it to be true, which is why I'm asking. Um, is that there there was a line of like people were born into Sikhism. So mm. are there pe- are there people who can become Sikhs who are not um, um, historically from the region? Yeah, it's a good question. So um, it's it's an open tradition. So there's no there's no ethnic claim. There's no you know sort of uh, exclusive claim that you have to be from this place or this tradition. In fact, it's it's very much the opposite. Um, you know, it, as part of our belief structure, we we say you can you can achieve the the highest level of humanity 
from any tradition because because ultimately the goal is love and you don't you know don't need to be on a particular path and you don't have to do it our way uh is is how we see it um and so because of that there's never really been a, a tradition of converting of missionizing of wow. proselytizing like I, I i i personally don't care if if someone is sick or not right like you don't have to be sick to be a good person or to be a loving person um and so that that in part also explains why so many a large majority of six in this world come from the same region um it's not because you have to be it's because we don't go out of our way to to, to go to other places and, and convince people to do it our way yeah and so there's no there's there's no temple for there is there, there's there, yeah we have a place of worship called a gurdwara um these have been around since the founding of the religion 500 years ago um they're all over the world um there are a bunch here in new york city like my, my kids and i we go to a place in new jersey um for you know for the for the sunday school there it's it's really great um you know when i grew up in texas there wasn't one in san antonio because the community wasn't that big and it's grown over the years and now there are two uh gurdwaras in san antonio so so there are community centers all over um yeah yeah and and people are welcome to join everyone is welcome to visit people want to convert they can but i guess the point on that one is you know it's not something we're going out of our way to accomplish right right okay well listen i i want to just thank you because i i know that for me this has been a very uh enlightening and uh conversation that, that has helped me grow and i'm sure people who uh will come to listen to this will grow and learn a lot from it as well and so um you're right across the street at times so hopefully we'll bump into each other um uh, over the course of the year uh, but until i see you go well stay well all right thanks brian great to be with you appreciate it